Hey everybody, this week we're proud to be sponsored by NatureBox, your first and last stop for healthy eating. NatureBox sends you a curated selection of snacks each month, and they are delicious. They sent us a sample, and I got these dark chocolate sea salt almonds that were fantastic, and the Kung Pao pretzels, which, as far as I can tell, are just pretzels, but, you know, they still tasted good. NatureBox comes with a risk-free membership and a snack guarantee. If you don't like something, you can send it back. And to get 15% off your first two months, you can go to checkout and enter the coupon code BREAKMAYBERRY. Again, that's BREAKMAYBERRY, all one word. Now, if the coupon code doesn't work, don't worry, that happens. What you have to do after that is go to naturebox.com backslash support and use their chat function. Just politely tell them that there's been a mistake and you'd like your Breaking Mayberry discount. That's very important. Always call it the Breaking Mayberry discount. And once you're on there, keep insisting that you have been promised a discount by Breaking Mayberry, a podcast that they are sponsoring. Now, they may hang up on you. That is normal. If that is the case, you can call their corporate office at 1-888-613-6998. If Janet picks up, hang up immediately. But for anybody else, just dig in and refuse to get off the line until they give you your discount, and keep raising the percentage until they back down. If they hang up, call back, but not if it's Janet, and keep leaning on them. If they tell you that they're not sponsoring Breaking Mayberry, just say, you must be, otherwise why would I be doing this? Nature Box. Better snacks, less stress. Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that can't promise that we won't drag you out into the desert, strip you to your underwear, and leave you for dead as part of a most dangerous game situation. We're going to try our best not to, but depending on how things go down the road, if sponsorship opportunities come up, we're going to play we'll this We'll see what ear. happens. We'll see what happens. That's the subject of today's episode, to make things make a little more sense. Norm yeah, introduce the movie that we're talking <laughs> about so quickly now. Yeah. Yes. There's a movie about that. We're going to talk about that movie. Yeah, that intro didn't come out of nowhere. There's precedent <laughs> for it. That's what we watched today. So we came to, this is the end of season three for us. Say it right up front, Dan and I are going to take a little bit of break. We'll drop some stuff here and there into the main feed but you won't probably won't see new episodes from us until after the new year because we're tired we're so tired so this is our season finale and it is an andy griffith tv movie double feature that was never supposed to be a double feature no there was a miscommunication we watched the wrong movie and then we watched the right movie and I can't get that hour and a half back from the first one, so we're talking about it, well, too. I don't think we got watched the wrong movie. Well, okay. So, here's the thing. We watched two movies, made-for-TV movies, from 1974. In both of them, Andy Griffiths plays a rich sociopath. And these were the first one was recommended to us by a frequent Breaking Mayberry Facebook page poster. And he sold it to me as Andy Griffith chases a man and hunts a man down in a most dangerous game situation and he said that we should watch the movie pray for the wildcats and that's it you know and that sounded great to us 
But that's not the movie that Pray for the Wildcats is. I don't blame this poster for getting them confused because here is the description on Wikipedia of Pray for the Wildcats. Pray for the Wildcats is a 1974 American made-for-television thriller about a psychopathic business executive chasing his workers on dirt bikes through the desert after he killed a young man. So I yeah. was given two descriptions of this movie, neither of which accurately describe what that movie is. But as Dan and I were, were researching Pray for the Wildcats, we found a different TV movie called Savages from 1974. And that's the one where Andy Griffith takes a young man out into the middle of the desert and hunts him most dangerous game style. So I don't blame yeah. you for getting the two confused. They're very similar movies. And the thing is, when we looked up Pray for the Wildcats and thought it was the plot of Savages... It was the coolest fucking movie ever that I can't believe I'd ever not heard of because it was the most dangerous game where Andy Griffith hunts William Shatner and the dad from the Brady Bunch for sport while they're all on dirt bikes, which, like, is the raddest shit imaginable. <laughs> and I put that on. I made the promise to my girlfriend. was like, all right, so they're going to go out into the desert and Andy Griffith is going to hunt them for sport. And for the remainder of that movie, we were like, He's going to start hunting them for sport any minute now. After this monologue about advertising and capitalism and suicide. Probably after this. No, after the cantina scene. No, after the this dirt biking scene. No, after this monologue. Any minute. We're like, there's a half hour left, but I'm so confident that Andy Griffith is going to hunt William Shatner for sport. And then we watched Savages and it was like, oh, this movie fucking rules doesn't have Shatner, does not have the dad from Brady Bunch. This kid is a piss-poor substitute. <laughs> and, and to be clear, in Savages, he starts hunting that young man for sport almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, Pray for the Wildcats is not a bad movie at all, but it does have that like 1970s thing where there's like 50 minutes of movie in it, and roughly 40% of that movie is just people who are very clearly not Andy Griffith and William Shatner driving motorcycles in the desert. Are they driving yeah. them well, you ask? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that the the Andy Griffith stand-in is doing sick motorcycle flips or some shit? No, they're just kind of going. They're just huttering. They're, they're just, just huttering through the desert. They're just driving in a straight line. It has that 1970s thing where... Someone wrote a play. They wrote, like, a, a three-act play. And they were like, well, I can't really do this on stage because it has dirt bikes. Let's make a TV movie out of it. So it's the plot of a short play stretched out over an hour and a half movie. Where just basically any time there's a curtain call, dirt bikes. It's very weird. I want to point out something about Pray for the Wildcats IMDb page. It doesn't actually have, like, I know that everything is submitted on IMDb, but usually if it's a movie people care about, there'll be a very official sounding description, one that sounds like it was written by actual marketing department. This one was written by a dude whose name is Roger Thornhill, and I know this because he gave us his email address, which is rogerthornhill at webtv.net. <laughs> a guy with a web TV address wrote the plot description for this on IMDb. 
he he also continuously just refers to the character as Griffith, as Andy Griffith, because why the hell not? So yeah, we're going to talk about both of these movies, Pray for the Wildcats and Savages. A cool thing about digging up obscure made-for-TV movies from the 70s is that we're now pretty high on the totem pole of people who give a shit about these movies. <laughs> True. Like, we're in the top 10% in terms of relevance and coolness <laughs> of people who give a shit about Pray for the Wildcats. We're not very far underneath of the cast of the movie. I could throw a rock and hit William Shatner. Probably should, honestly, at this point. Um, yeah. Fuck you, Shatner. Yeah, Shatner's an ass. Your stupid shit my dad says TV show. How'd that work out for you with your stupid goddamn You know best? what, man? I'm gonna go ahead and say I missed the days of the internet where the dumbest thing would happen was like some guy would make up stuff that his dad said and he would get a fucking TV deal out of it. Yeah, God. That was like someone did a fucking retrospective on the internet. It's like, it's 2005. There's a cat that looks unhappy. It is 45% of the internet. Those were great days that I wish we could get back. You would look at a picture of a man with a monocle saying, Ha, I am using the internet. And it would be shared around your newsnet groups. And we would all laugh and laugh. Yeah. You would just have entire, like, hours of conversations that were imposed over pictures of bears, iguanas, and characters from movies. That like, still happens. Well, I want to say... Yeah, that is true. That still happens. But less. And, well, no, it happens in a very weird way. It's just like, here's a picture of Sam Elliott, and he's got some racist opinions written on top of him. How do you think yeah. Sam Elliott feels about that? I, yeah, like, you're basically misappropriating his voice. You're using Sam Elliott's silky, deep voice for evil. Yeah, like, Sam Elliott himself, I don't know his political predilections but i've got a feeling they're a lot closer to his parks and rec character and it's very annoying but at least sam elliott is rich right here's what i've been thinking about yeah. lately right what happens to you if you took a stock photo job here's what i've been thinking about you know that yeah. meme from that clickhole article horrifying the worst person you know just made a really good point and there's that picture of that bald guy looking just like kind of shitty and smug that's a yeah. real dude that's an actual yeah. dude who who has, like, friends and family and a life. What is his life now? He cannot walk down the street. Well, he probably, like, hopefully lives in, like, a suburb of Minneapolis. Because if he lives in fucking New York, he cannot go to the bodega without somebody being like, Hey, oh my god, do the look! Let me get a selfie with you! Do the that look! That guy took a stock photo modeling job in 2017 for $150. And now he can never express an opinion out loud for the rest of his life. That's yeah. got to ruin your modeling career, right? What if you are uh, a distracted boyfriend? What if you're that guy, right? Like, yeah, he's never going to get another modeling job because everybody in the world knows him as distracted boyfriend. I mean, I feel like if you're doing stock photo modeling gigs, you're on your oh, yeah, way no. out. You're basically like, this whole thing isn't going to play out. I'm going to cash in. I'm going to get enough money to get a plane back to Phoenix. <laughs> I'll take some fucking stock modeling gigs and go work for my dad's landscaping company. I just, I feel bad for these people, right? Like, look, some poor girl was just messing with the lighting on her camera and took a weird p a photo. And now she is the icon of codependent relationships everywhere no one's yeah. gonna date that girl 
there was like one thing and I was like ah, this is like from like mid 2000s reddit of like it was like douchebag Brian and it was just like a guy with a sideways hat and a chin yeah, yeah, strap yeah, beard that. and he and like he popped up and he was just like dude I was like 14 I wasn't a douchebag I just thought a chin strap beard looked good on me and now everyone is yelling at me all the time <laughs> these are real people but think just- about that before you meme this is this just really cements my long-standing position of never ever let anyone take a photo of me ever. For the entire years of 2006 to to 2015, anytime there's a photo of me, I'm like blurring my way out of the frame because I'm afraid of this exact That's situation. because at least like 60% of the photos from you in college you're wearing a paperboy hat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most embarrassing. I've I've Probably. This should be one of the prides of my life. I was, not to brag, arrested in Occupy. <laughs> and I am now on the key wiki conservative database of uh, socialist agitators. Lapsed socialist, absolute, don't even have a, barely have a DSA membership at this fucking point. But I should be able to hang my hat on that. I can't even show it to people because they used the photo from me in like 2013 where i was trying to make a paperboy hat work it has been more effective at destroying me than actually putting me in the database you look like the most dsa guy i know and the worst part was i was trying to make that hat work for three fucking weeks <laughs> like i gave up on it almost immediately and that's the one they got their hands on <laughs> You gotta watch out for the conservatives, man. <laughs> They'll get you one way or another. So, poor fashion deci- decisions aside, which one of these bad boys are we p- talking about first? Oh, we're talking about savages really? I first. I feel like we should talk about Pray for the Wildcats first. Should we eat our vegetables? Yeah, I mean, with the Andy Griffith show, our rule is to talk about the most, in- the more interesting one first. But in this case, I think we should talk about... Uh, pray for the Wildcats because it'll be quick, right? This isn't yeah. a bad movie at all. Like, no, I would advise you can go on YouTube and you can watch both of these movies. I would, if you have the ability to do so, pause this, go watch them. When you do the Pray for the Wildcats one, you're gonna have two options: one that's a high quality, like, like straight rip. The other one was clearly filmed on a television in San Francisco sometime in the mid '90s. And you do get commercials, and it does enrich the experience significantly. So get your hands on that one. Watch it immediately. It's from like the it airs on the WB. It's from like the first season that the WB existed when they were really committing to using that racist ass frog as their bits, yeah, as their bumpers. And it's just it's amazing. The ads on it are masterpieces. It is really from an era where you could just say anything in an ad now it has to be like nuanced you have to be like semi-ironic like i guess if you want to buy dockers brands jeans you could they might get you laid maybe not who cares we're too good for this and then it could just be like hey our breakfast sausages are better than ever they're great they're circular better than ever eat them they're full of fiber better than ever breakfast sausages (laughs) it was was really like from an era where you could show 45 seconds of a panther just wandering around the jungle and growling and then at the very end say, buy coffee. That is no exaggeration, one of them. And they show it multiple times. Oh, it was, it's human and, coffee. 
and it is in every single commercial break in this video. Yubin <laughs> went all and in on this like ad space at what I'm assuming was two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. <laughs> The an ad executive went into another ad executive's office and was like, Ted, I'm I'm reviewing your your budget request for this coffee commercial. I have down here ten thousand dollars for a live panther and then nothing else. And he's like, Yes. No okay, further questions. All right, let's we got ourselves an ad. So it was just like, I'm just gonna film a panther for like forty five seconds, and then that's it. <laughs> Associate our coffee with Panther. Absolutely, the best one of these commercials is the one that is for what I believe is just like like life insurance, and it's just it opens up with just an old man who says funerals. <laughs> just stares you barrel at the camera. Right. Funerals. <laughs> they can be expensive, and I'm just like, yeah, man, but I don't give a shit. I'm dead. <laughs> and then hard cut to Jimmy Carter, a man who I can only um, tell like. Looks so much like Jimmy Carter. That I cannot confidently say it's not Jimmy Carter. I know that Jimmy Carter had already been president at this point in time and probably did not need to do ad work in suburban San Francisco. But that I'm looking dead at Jimmy Carter. I'm looking Jimmy Carter in the face and he's telling me that one day he is going to die and he's very happy that he has life insurance. I mean... Here's the thing. If there's anybody whose funeral is pre-planned, it's a U.S. president. Jimmy yeah. Jimmy Carter, who is somehow still alive. Like, he doesn't have to worry about that shit. It is taken yeah. care of. It's been taken care of for a while. Yeah. When your job is, like, a 30% higher chance of getting shot in the head, they give you pretty great life insurance from day one. There's also a bunch of, like, bumpers for WBTV shows, uh, like the Wayans Brothers shows, which I actually do remember. Unhappily Ever After, which was their attempt at making, like, a shitty Married with Children knockoff. But that one was different because it had a puppet voiced by Bobcat Goldthwaite. That one blew right past me. I got distracted. By uh, Space Precinct, a movie about space cops. But they were like, they're just cops. They're just like wearing blue uniforms, but one of them has a lizard head. It was, and they went so fast. They were like, oh, check out our, our new show, Muscles. Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is talking about how he wants to fuck ladies and they all work in a gym and they fucking are mean. Oh, also, here's uh, Space Precinct. Alien cops, lizard man, robot, uh, robot detective. But yeah, also the Wayans brothers. It makes you wonder how, like, the WB became. It makes me wonder, like, how easy it was to just get a TV network in the 90s. Like, could we have just had a TV network? I think during the 90s, if you could get into an executive's, like, office and just talk for 35 seconds, you got a show. You you have to get a broadcasting license, right? Doesn't the FCC have any standards? Not any. Nope, it's 1992. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to do a TV show about a guy whose roommate is a T-Rex. And they'd be like, well, what's the target demo? People who think like me. You got yourself a show. (laughs) Yeah, it, but magnificent time period so, for, for broadcasting. So why media. are we talking so much about this, about advertising, number one, because these commercials fucking rule. But number two, <laughs> yeah. in Pray for the Wildcats, Andy Griffith actually plays 
Is he an ad executive? Yeah, he's he's like the head of no. an advertising firm, or he's a client. No, no, he's so Andy Griffith plays Farragut, who is the head of Farragut Industries that manufactures heavy machinery equipment. And William Shatner is like his account manager at an advertising firm that does all of his advertising. And he's like their only client. So basically, he is their boss. Like, they they have the wonderful strategy to build their entire agency around one guy, which goes about as well as basically the only result would be this fucking movie. <laughs> and he, I don't know how this arrangement was happened, but he likes to take his top ad executives out dirt biking on a regular basis. I don't know if they all just happened to like dirt bikes or if Andy Griffiths was like, you want to work for me? You get yourself a dirt bike. We gon' like, you're going to spend your weekends dirt biking with your boss. Weird movie. So so that's how it opens up. It opens up with like, uh, Sam is the name of Andy Griffith's character. And he's taking these guys out to just dirt bike around on like a Sunday afternoon and then have a picnic. Like it's golf, yeah. basically. I mean, that's way fucking is... cooler than golf. If any captains of industry out there would like to take that as a a new idea, as a new marketing or networking plan, I su- heavily suggest it. Like, because golf. Uh, if sucks. I was like, yeah, if I was like a, a consultant at a company, I'd be like, listen, everyone's playing golf. It's how everyone is trying to build relationships, and you know what? You're not going to be able to stand out in the crowd, no matter what par you hit. But if you want to really make a wave. Invite your client to go dirt biking with you out in the dunes. They'll never forget that offer, even if they definitely don't go for it. But yeah, I think this takes place in an alternate, much better universe where dirt biking is this universe's golf. So then we are basically treated to a bunch of William Shatner, who, by the way, is unrecognizable for half this movie. Like, he's wearing a very weird toupee, and... He is pitching this idea to Andy Griffith, who plays who, to Sam Farragut, and he's pitching this idea of like, okay, we're selling heavy equipment, so let's just have heavy equipment in the desert, out kicking ass, basically. Because <laughs> like, I can't come up with anything better than that. And Andy Griffith goes, "Nah, fuck that, fuck that shit." Yeah. He. There are two other characters whose names are Paul and Terry. Paul is played by Robert Reed of the Brady Bunch fame, and Terry is played by a guy named Marshall Gortner. And before we talk any further, Dan, I need to read you Marshall Gortner's bio on IMDb, because I saw it and I read the first sentence. I'm like, I need to read the rest of this. Do it. In his early career as the four-year-old world's youngest ordained minister, Pentecostal (laughs) preacher Hugh Margot... Ross Gortner became a miracle child extraordinaire. Born in 1944, the young tyke who ministered the gospel from memory and performed faith healings drew capacity crowds as he barnstormed through the Bible Belt. The son of Vernon Robert Gortner, an evangelical minister who preached at revivals, it was his mother Marge who pushed and introduced Marjo to the world as a boy preacher and is the primary reason for his success. At age 16, however, Marjo grew actively disillusioned with what he considered a horrible deception eventually withdrawing from the scene unbeknownst to his father and other ministers of his purpose to reveal this deception marjo agreed to let a film crew follow him throughout his final 1971 tour of revival meetings before leaving quote the business 
the fascinating Oscar-winning documentary Marjo that resulted, based on his life as a fake evangelist, introduced the public to a newly and profoundly hypnotic performer. What the This fuck? dude was fucking little Gideon. Jesus Christ, that's insane. He looks it. He has the wild, empty eyes of someone who is a child preacher. This dude was fucking Uncle Baby Billy from the Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, holy shit. Wow, he, he definitely brings that energy. I mean, the thing I recognize him from is one of the new MST3K episodes where he's in, like, Space Fight! Or, like, he's in, like, a shitty Star Wars ripoff. So the entire time I was just like, that guy... This is way better. He definitely, like, he has that energy. Like, he has kind of, just, like, sitting still, he definitely looks like he wants to, like, oh, can I talk to y'all about Jesus? He, can I he just, definitely has can the, I talk to you about your best friend Jesus? He definitely has the eyes of a man who has been traumatized since childhood. Like, yes. just a thousand year stare on what was probably, like, a 24-year-old man at that point. He looks like he is actively fighting the programming to talk about Jesus the entire movie. Like, there are so many cuts where it's just like, well, you know, I I think hopefully through dirt biking we'll get this account. And, you know, through the Lord, anything (laughs) is possible. And they're like, damn it! (laughs) Take it again! Oh, man. I want to watch this documentary now, though. Yeah, that sounds sick. Oh, man. Okay, so, yeah, so basically how it comes down is all three of these men have some issues. Shatner's character is the main character, pretty much. And number one, he's actually been fired, but they're just kind of keeping him on. It's a very weird scenario. Like, the boss calls him in, and he's like, so listen, you know we fired you three months ago, right? We're just kind of keeping you on to keep up appearances as a favor. And Shatner's like, I know. I'm trying to get another job now. And it is the chillest firing ever, because they're like, all right, so you're fired, but... We're going to still pay you. You don't you can leave basically whenever you want. You still get to use the corporate credit cards and when you leave we are going to let you keep your country club membership. Like that golden parachute has two smaller silver <laughs> parachutes attached to it. <laughs> like they're like, "Oh, this parachute isn't golden enough. This guy needs some help." And he's like suicidally depressed as a result of it. I mean, he's also like, he's diagnosed with something, right? I don't think the doctor ever says it, but he's been diagnosed with something and he's also got a very large life insurance policy. So the film spells it out in no uncertain terms that he is going to kill himself. Can I say something real quick about Shatner in this? Have you ever like looked at modern day Shatner and Star Trek Shatner and been like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> like, they look like two completely different human beings. This was like seeing the missing link between, like, ape and human. It was like, oh, he, he looks like you're doing an Animorphs from Star Trek to current Shatner. And this is on, like, page 43. Like, it was very weird to just see, like, this amalgamation between the two. I just want to say something about Shatner in this movie. He's good. He's, He's really in good this. in this movie. <laughs> this might be the best Shatner performance I've ever and, seen. And about very early in, as he's like doing like a chilling walk and like got like suburban ennui going on, I was like, oh damn, Shatner is Kevin Spaceying really hard in this movie. He's bringing yeah. some big spacey energy. 
because there's all the shit Shatner does now, which is dog shit. And there was, like, classic Shatner, which his whole thing was, like, he was the only motherfucker that was going to be on Star Trek in the 70s and, like, take aliens seriously. <laughs> and this, he's just taking all that Star Trek heat, but actually talking about real-life things. And he, yeah, it's fucking crazy to see. He's firing on all pistons. I, it, was, it was very weird at the beginning. I thought he was going to be the bad guy, though, because he's walking around with some real menace in the beginning. Yeah. And he kind of turns out to be the, the good guy of the movie. So, anyway, each one of these dudes has their own issues, though, right? So, Shatner has the firing and the cancer, and I think his wife... Or, no, he's cheating with on his wife, it's, who um, is Hot Lips Houlihan from MASH. Yeah, who is married to, again, the dad from the Brady Bunch, who I'm going to keep calling in my head Tom Brady. I know that's not <laughs> it, but I'm going to slip up and call him that a couple of times. Yeah, no, he's sleeping with Tom Brady's wife and feels really bad about it. Their marriage is kind of, like, stagnant and uncomfortable. Mr. Brady's marriage to Hot Lips is dog shit, and they're both actively miserable. And, like, their scene together is them sitting at a breakfast table, and she's like, I hate your fucking guts. And he's like, well, the breakfast is a bit cold today. I'm off. I'm assuming we'll, I'm assuming that we'll fix all of this and be super in love when I get back. And she's like, no, eat shit. And he's like, that's what I thought. I'll see you when I get uh, home. And then our last guy, Terry Maxson, who is supposed to be like the young, hippie, like cool guy, because he's got long hair and waves and he's tall. And he's like a creep. Yeah. He is, he is approached by his girlfriend, his live-in girlfriend, who is like, hey, maybe you should spend some time with me let's pay attention to each other like hang out like we used to because when we were in the 60s when we were hippies and he's like no i have a career now i'm a career man and she goes oh well by the way i'm pregnant um specifically says i'm pregnant do you want me to keep it and he just goes we'll talk about it later yeah. <laughs> after my three-day dirt bike trip can we can we skip to the end here i'm just gonna skip to the end because i want to say something about this number one i was very surprised by how like direct this movie was about the abortion, right? But the concept of abortion. I was just like, hey, do you want me to keep it? And then it kind of like fades to black. The last line of this movie, the last scene of this movie. <laughs> the last, like, the last scene, the last line. <laughs> is this dude who is, by the way, an asshole. He sucks shit. Yeah. He, it's him getting home and having his girlfriend basically say, fuck you, you suck. I aborted our kid. Peace. Yeah, it's specifically, he comes home and he's like, baby, I've grown and learned from the events of this movie so much. I'm ready to be a father to our child and the man you've always wanted me to be. And she just goes, I aborted him. Her exact <laughs> words are, there is no baby anymore, which I guess leaves it up to interpretation. But no, it does not. It's very clear. No, it does what not. What happened there. This aired on ABC. In the 70s. We've gone backwards on this. Like... Can you imagine this happening? Not like, not this happening now. If you told me that there was a movie where the final line was, I aborted your child, I'd be like, oh, okay. So that's like some deep indie movie from like 2019 that was being like, make, like making a fucking statement about it. 
And it's like, no, this was on fucking television. You know, the thing that Christians watch and basically control? Yeah, we've gone backwards uh, on this one as a society. Because, like, even major movies are afraid to fucking say the word. Knocked Up would not say the word abortion. And technically this yeah. one doesn't say the word either. But, like, I was really stunned on that. And I thought it was neat and refreshing. And I was just stunned at how fucking backwards we've gone on it there are like plenty of movies like both now and throughout history have talked about abortion but never i don't think i've ever seen one be this fucking like like hard almost flippant with it any movie i've ever seen where abortion has come up it's been like well you know it was a tough decision or it's been like this is an emotional journey to get to abortion but this is just like Oh, by the way, I aborted the Yeah, this happened this happened off screen as like a C plot. Yeah. It's crazy. And they use it for like the full force of just like it is abortion as karmic comeuppance, because it is like, oh, fuck you, character who's been immoral. Boom! Uh, We've actually spent more time talking about it on this than the movie does, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. So, anyway, Andy Griffith convinces these three dudes, Paul, Terry, and Warren. Uh, Warren is William Shatner's character's name. If you're going to sell me on the Baja Desert, well, listen, let's all just go for a big old drive with our motorcycles down to Baja. And it's basically wild hogs at that point. Yeah. Uh, And they have, they all put on motorcycle jackets with the goofiest, shittiest looking cat (laughs) Like, it looks yeah. like my cat. It looks it's... like some dog shit Tony the Tiger crap. <laughs> like, if I saw someone with that jacket, they'd be like, we're real tough guys. Look at these jackets we're wearing. I'd kick your ass so bad. <laughs> like, really, anything where it's like, oh, yeah, we're all going on a trip together. I made us jackets. We're the wild cats. I'd be like, no, fuck this. I'm not. out. Fucking, I'm not going to this bachelor this bullshit party. Bullshit ass Wilkinson family cruise. Yeah. Fuck that. Like, oh, like matching jackets that are supposed to be cool and badass. Ugh. Just um, put that on to be like, yeah, we're all grown men, right? <laughs> so, one weird thing from reading about this is so, underneath the jackets, they're all wearing yellow They're all shirts. wearing Star Trek shirts. Like, yeah, that was intentional. They like they did that as a reference to Star Trek, and Andy Griffith's character's name Fargot is a reference to fucking Star Trek. Apparently, it's like the first ship that Kirk was on, and they were like eighty others. So I guess the person that made this was just a really big fan of Star Trek, and the entire time was just going up to William Shatner, be like, "Like Kirk, yeah, yeah." Can we work in you saying "beam me up"? Do you think that's an option? No, that would be too much. Okay, okay, we'll work it in somewhere else. Just a really weird bit of trivia. Uh, okay, so basically they, they drive down to Baja, California, and the rest of this is just them driving through the desert for a while. And yeah. then recapping the plot so far in, like, flashbacks and voiceovers for quite some time. Finally, yeah. like, you get the idea that something's going on when they, like, show up at a cantina and Andy is trying to basically really lusting after, really trying to fuck a seventies hot girl like that. That's yeah. all, all I can say about she, she's just. I don't think she has any lines. She's just 
a young, long-haired blonde with, like, wide hips and bell-bottoms. She's just, she's 70s hot. There is an exposed Yeah, that's true. So, 70s hot girl. Bam. Andy is lusting after her and her boyfriend, her hippie boyfriend, and he kind of get into it because he basically harasses her and gropes her a little bit. And they kind of have a fight. It is, and, alright, so we should talk now about Andy Griffith's villainy. Because it is, we've seen, we've watched a face in the crowd. That was pre-Andy Griffith yeah. show. But, like, in this movie, in these two movies, Andy Griffith is a villain. And you'd think he would be kind of like, like, you know, Charmin, I'm a good old boy villain, but I got a dark side. And in this, he is like this sneering, disgusting creature who is trying to hit on a woman in a cantina so bad that I expected someone just to stand up and be like, listen, we're all fucking dirtbags here, but that is too far. Yeah, I gotta be honest, I'm not, I don't like Andy Griffith's performance in this, to be honest. I don't, I think he's a little over the top with it, and it doesn't really match the rest. He's very over the top in Savages, but it works really well. Yeah. this, it's just, it's like he's trying to call upon all that, like, sleazebaggery that he brought to a face in the crowd, but this is now, like, 20 years later and it, it's not working it is it feels like like the the ankle weights have come off where he no longer has to be talking to ron fucking howard all the time <laughs> and he's just sprinting as fast as he can in whatever direction he can find be like i can be horny now i can curse i can try to murder people i'm gonna do them all simultaneously while guzzling tequila ah like he's just going on he's just the tasmanian fucking devil in this so I, I want to move on a little bit more driving. They stumble across this couple again, like skinny dipping down by the beach. Some bullshit happens and Andy or Andy Griffith, Sam convinces them that he needs to go back and do something to split up. So he takes Terry. Terry is the guy whose actor was a child evangelist and they drive back and they go meet up with the hippie couple again. And this is kind of where the turning point of the movie. Andy says, hey, I really, I feel sorry about that that issue we had back then. Let me make it up to you. I want to give you something. Looks like you're out of gas. Looks like you don't know how to get your way home. Why don't I give you a hundred bucks? And uh, the hippie dude is kind of like, no. What are you fucking trying to pull here? And he tries to do a, uh, uh, oh, indecent proposal thing. Andy's like, all right, let me fuck your girl, basically. Uh, yeah. The guy is like, because at first he's like, well, gee, thanks, mister. Wait, you want to fuck my girlfriend, don't you? And Andy's like, sure do. <laughs> and, <laughs> they, and then they get into another fight, and he drives the dude off. And then Andy, so here we go, right? The Wikipedia yeah, so- article for this says that he chases his workers on dirt bikes through the desert after he killed a young man. And that is not what happens, right? Like, does he kill this young man? Yes, but not directly. A good lawyer would definitely talk this down to, like, manslaughter. You might think, right? Like, they get into a fight, and Andy's even wielding an axe around at this point. Like, you're like, oh, shit, he's going to kill this dude right now with that axe. He does not. He lets the dude get away, and then he chops up their radiator with the axe. And he does it just basically saying, like, that hippie just bought himself a long walk home. Like, and yeah, if you were, a, like, a decent lawyer, you could just be like, 
my client was threatened because the hippie was like waving a bat at him and then Andy Griffith started waving a hatchet and the hippie ran away and he could be like he accidentally uh, hit the radiator and it's it's not his responsibility what happened after. It is super his responsibility because when they don't have a working car, the hippie tries to uh, hit, like walk to the road to get help and the girlfriend gets bit by a snake. He dies of exposure out in the desert and she goes into a coma. Yeah, so, and we learn all this later on as our four people come through. And then a dude in a helicopter, a Mexican yeah. policeman in a helicopter, just comes over a ridge. And it really looks like they just, it, it looks like they're just using the helicopter for like a traffic stop. It looks like they just had the helicopter on one side of the hill. And then it goes up and then down so a helicopter pulls them over it is so because again this entire time i thought this was going to start turning into an action thing so i was like oh here we go helicopter they're gonna start shooting at the wildcats they're gonna have to serpentine on their dirt bikes to get away and the guy just comes up and be like hello i'm a gentleman and i'm going to be very polite to you all may i have your passports and see them please it's good to meet all of you here is the plot of the movie. Again, the young man died. I would like you to come into town for questioning. I'm going to leave now. Please meet me there. Yeah, he, does, <laughs> he doesn't arrest them. He says, you should come to town because it's suspicious if you don't. Yeah. It's so fucking cordial. Every This entire movie gave me like action scene blue balls because I was like, oh, shit's about to pop off. No, no. Another conversation about morality. I guess another scene where they subtly hint that William Shatner is going to kill himself. All right. I will say, you watched the uh, crappy version. I watched the high-quality version. This movie is good-looking. I will say there is some mm. good, like, cinematography. It's it's beautiful. It's like, it, it, I, it if you showed this to me and didn't tell me that it was a made-for-TV movie, I would be like, yeah, this was probably, like, fairly prestigious in it. Both of these could it be looked... A24 films very easily. Yeah, it looked about as, like, good as, like, fucking MASH. So, they go to this small town, they drink at a cantina, and this is where Shatner pieces it together and starts to figure out what is going on. And he's like, okay, we need to turn Sam into the police, right? And... Neither of them want to do this, right? Yeah, the the young guy, little Jesus boy, is in complete denial. He keeps insisting that he didn't see anything, but he's also in, like, very overacted emotional turmoil. He's, like, binge drinking and trying to yell at everybody that he's getting married, but nobody gives a shit. And they're both Shatner and Paul are just both like, look at this little fucking piece of shit. I fucking hate his guts. And Paul convinces Shatner, like, all right, so we're going to get some rest, we're going to wake up in the morning, and we're going to turn Farragut in. But he basically says, like, we should all get across the border first, and then we'll turn him in America so we don't have to be fucking extradited. Uh, Paul also kind of makes the point here of just, like, we don't know shit. We weren't there for this, and all we have is really you putting this together. Like, he, yeah. he does make the point just like, we are in a foreign country and we have zero evidence, so maybe we should wait a little bit before we go to the cops, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then Shatner's like, like, just starts like doing like, you know, Shatner moralizing, like, justice is justice and right is right. And if you see something, you gotta do something. 
And Paul's just like, yeah, okay, that's cool. <laughs> we'll do that, man. And then they all go to sleep, and in the morning, oh, it is crazy how fast we're. Yeah, because there's no plot. plot to the, the movie to the plot to this movie is like a hundred words. Anytime there is a pause between anything that we are saying, just imagine people on dirt bikes. Because <laughs> that is how this movie works. Just, just you know, put on a fan or something and pretend that's a dirt bike. Yeah, Shatner wakes up the next morning. And Farragut and Jesus Boy have gone on ahead. And there's like, Paul, we gonna go catch him? We're gonna go bring him to justice? And Paul's just like, no. There's a bit (laughs) here about Paul sabotaging his own motorcycle that I didn't quite understand. Uh, He could have just said no. He could have just been like, I'm not doing it. But he was like, no, I trashed my own motorcycle. There's a long stretch of Paul's wife figuring out that William Shatner is going to kill himself. That definitely evokes the Lisa needs braces dental plan thing from The (laughs) Simpsons. Because she has two quotes just happen back and forth of just like, I got life insurance. I have nothing to live for. I got life insurance. I have nothing to live for. I have got life insurance. I'm going to fucking kill myself. I have nothing to live for. Like, it's, and she's just like, oh my God, I think he might be about to do something crazy. And that's just like the B plot happening the entire time. So yeah, then William Shatner goes off after them, catches up to the two of them, and basically just says like, hey, Andy, I know you killed those people. Andy should be like, no, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, William Shatner evokes eight-year-old rules of just going, I'm gonna tell. And Andy Griffith is like, you better not! Like, straight up, any decent lawyer. The the lawyer that Andy Griffith plays in the next movie could very easily get this Andy Griffith off, scot-free. <laughs> yeah, he could have run circles around this entire fucking Because it's movie. such a weak-ass case, right? You're basically yeah. just going off of William Shatner's hunch, a guy who was miles away and has no idea. And is and is very clearly in a a, a a death spiral. You could have just been like, oh yeah, you mean your witness? The guy that came here to fucking kill himself and everyone knows was gonna kill himself and none of us really gave a shit. But Andy Griffith takes an alternate strategy. I would say an inadvisable one, which is dirt, dirt bike, bike murder. murder. <laughs> yeah. he, he tries to kill him with a dirt bike <laughs> and it is his very and you're wondering like does he try to run him over does he try to like like ram him and did you ever have that thing where you and your friends were riding bikes and one of your friends would like rub their front wheel in the back of your back wheel and like make it feel like you were gonna fall over because that's basically his strategy for murder is just like just get up and just nudge the bicycle and hope that William Shatner spins out and breaks his neck. And then just proceeds with like a five minute chase scene of just these bikes crisscrossing each other. Which then ends with just Andy Griffith missing <laughs> and flying off a And cliff. he does like the speed racer car like bike explosion at the end. Which is very yeah. funny. And then that, that's pretty much it. I think like Hot Lips's attempts to get the government involved work once she gets Shatner's wife to make the call. So then they are brought with the help of the U.S. government, brought back into the U.S. Everything is cleared. Shatner says, fuck you to the other two. He quits. Okay, first off, like, there's this moment there where he's just, like, supposed to be... 
he's offered to his job back, basically. And he says, yeah. no, fuck you, I'm done with this. Yeah, like, so Farragut is really the only one that wanted you to not work here, and he died horribly in disgrace, so I guess you have your job still, <laughs> which definitely doesn't feel like the way that decision-making process happens. If anything, it should be, oh god, our only client died in a horrible, disgraceful dirt bike accident. We might not have a firm anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing might be over, but instead they're just like, well, that worked out for the best. What do you say, old buddy? Come back to the firm. So, so Shatner, of course, uh, tells him to go fuck himself, and then his wife tells him to go fuck himself, and then the other guy's wife is just like, hey, fuck you, I had an abortion. And then I guess Shatner and his wife go to like live his very short life, you know, the rest of it in peace and i guess they, they just gloss they go off they just to, gloss over the fact by the way you were fucking hot lips Hulahan. what <laughs> gonna gloss over that sure yeah they go off to live a happily ever after and definitely never get therapy it's such a weird it does end on like a pretty good thematic wrap-up where shatner just states the thesis of the movie which is just basically like if you work in the business world you're going to be at the mercy of depraved rich people, and you're going to constantly be doing their bidding, and there's no escape, so stop it. And I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks, thanks, Bill. That was a pretty good That was a pretty good little monologue you did. So I think the insummation thing is, was this movie good? This movie was good, right? It sound, The way we're talking about it, it does not sound like it. But it was like a neat little flick, right? Yeah, I mean, it's fine, right? It, it yeah. I, I have no like real issues with it other than that weird pacing and the fact that there's basically no like real kind of uh story to it but it, it's fine it's a pretty good you know movie it's fine it's okay all right let's now that all oh, that bullshit's out of the way savages we gotta talk about fucking savages <laughs> are you kidding me Boom. <laughs> fucking savage see see I'm, this is why we had to do the other one first right to get people here right yeah yeah uh we want you to be on our emotional level having watched Savages because we were both like, yeah, this was cool. This is fine. fine. It was a nice little flick. Savages. And look, listen, our complaint with, uh, big complaint with Pray for the Wildcats is that a lot of time goes past with nothing happening, right? Savages does not have that problem. Savages does not fucking let it. Within three minutes, Savages is like, Hey, guess what? Here's the two main characters, and here's the plot, motherfuckers! <laughs> yeah. They're, like, Andy Griffith comes in, and he's like, here's all my character points. I got a creepy mustache. I got a weird hat that's kind of the side. I got uh, sunglasses where you can just see a little bit too much of my eyes. I'm dressed like a fucking idiot. I'm a lawyer. I'm a dirtbag from New York. I think I can get away with anything. I think I can buy anything. I think I can talk my way out of anything. I really want to kill a bunch of fucking rams. Is there anything important about you, protagonist? And he's like, nope. And he's like, cool, into the desert. Let's yeah, let's go. Let's talk about this, right? Like, Andy's fucking character and outfit and everything about him in this movie is ridiculous. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. He looks like he's got so much makeup on. He's basically the color of Ricardo Montalban, right? And he is wearing a fucking neckerchief. He's got the mustache that looks like fucking Brack's dad from the Brack show. <laughs> I don't know what he's going for. He's wearing like bright white chinos in the middle of of the desert 
Oh, yeah, both of these movies take place in the fucking desert. He looks like he's cruising for single moms at the Disney Animal Kingdom. He looks like a member of the Buena Vista Social Club. <laughs> he, he looks... God, he looks like someone that that crashes three golf carts a week. Like... Just this absolutely unhinged lunatic. Just looks he looks ridiculous. Yeah, it's so great. Every aspect of it, like the the. All right, we're going beat by beat. The mustache. Let's talk about the mustache. It's horrible. It's the worst. I cannot believe Andy Griffith. This is the best mustache that Andy Griffith can grow. He should have gone to the grave with. Do that you think secret. that's a real must? That's not a real mustache. That's clearly a fake mustache. If you're going to do a fake mustache, why would you not get a better mustache? I like, like to imagine it, that Andy made the decision to have that shitty of a mustache on his own. You know the blurs that you do when, like, there's a like a, a logo on something? Like, when someone has, like, like a product on their t-shirt and the company has to blur that out? It looks like there's one of those on Andy Griffith's <laughs> upper lip the entire time. <laughs> we, we forgot to mention that he walks with a ridiculous overpronounced limp. <laughs> When he remembers to have the limp, like, this movie makes a big deal about him being disabled because he walks with a limp for unspecified reasons. But number one, like, his limp is ridiculously overpronounced. It's like he thinks that having a disability means being a member of the Ministry of Silly Walks. He walks... Like, his disabled leg is a pogo stick, and if he puts too much pressure on it, it'll just shotgun him forward. Like, he he doesn't... No one explained to Andy Griffith that when there's a problem with your leg and you have to limp, you can't put very much pressure on the leg. He's just like... So it's all about the hip gyration, right? You just kind of got to swing your hips real big and it's some sort of problem we, there. We have to be kind of careful about making fun of Andy Griffith's fake limps. We don't sound like we're ta- making fun of people with like real limps, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> He's done no research. He basically – it the, the nature of his limp changes with every step is what gets it, me. And then sometimes he just forgets he has it. <laughs> It's so great. And when he very clearly midway through scenes, Andy Griffith will be limp, will be forgetting to limp, and then he'll remember that he needs to limp, and then he will overcompensate wildly. To make us forget about the the normal walking beforehand. And he'll just be doing like a weird pelvis shimmy the entire time. It's so good. It's it's like he's wearing vibrating pants. (laughs) So yeah, so Andy plays a rich big city lawyer named Madoc, and Madoc goes into the desert and he hires this young kid, this twenty-one-year-old Ben. He yeah. works at the he works at the filling station. He is a little weird because he's like really he has the, the movie says that he has like an obsession with buzzards and wants to do like experiments and stuff. Is is he like a is he a student is he a researcher is he accredited in any way or is he just a weirdo who likes desert animals? Movie's not clear. Because he's like, I'm doing research, and I'm like, you could either be a grad student doing your thesis out here, or you could be a desert pervert. I can't tell which. So he hires Ben's boss at the filling station. Is just like, hey, guess what? You're being hired out, and Ben should be yeah. like. We work at a gas station. What? <laughs> yeah. What? I'm not a hunting guide. Sure, whatever. So 
And do you think before this, Andy Griffith was just driving from building to building and be like, you got any desert guides in there? I need someone to take me out into the desert. No small cafe? You don't got that? Hey, muffler <laughs> shop, you got any desert guides in there? Huh? Anybody that wants to drive out to the desert with a weird old pervert? No? All right, once I'm going to do I got three more places on this block, and then I'm just going to circle around again. <laughs> it's so great. So. And the best part is, all of the insane actions that have to, all the insane decisions and actions that have to take place for this movie to make sense, Andy Griffith establishes very clearly early on that this character would make them. Like... Like, he doesn't just, like, he, because Andy Griffith is not playing a crazy bad person. He is playing a weirdo. He is playing a weird guy. He is, like, in any other circumstance, you could, I could, you could meet this person in your real life, right, Marty? And he would offer you a large sum of money to, like, snort coke off a part of your body. Like. Ah, so, so. Basically, I mean, we're like four minutes into the movie, and they are already in the Jeep. Everything's loaded out to the desert. And the plot really kicks off when they spot a couple of ram. Andy Griffith clearly establishes his ram lust. He's like, I want to kill a ram with big ol' horns. I'm really, I'm dead set on ram. Brings a weird energy to uh, it. He pulls out a weird pair of, like, Sam Fisher binoculars. I, I refer to them as <laughs> penis binoculars because they have... Two lenses, but only they turn to a mono lens in the middle, and they look through it to see some mutual of Omaha nature documentary B roll <laughs> of a ram. There was like a little bit of dead air where they very clearly had to edit out the narration. <laughs> so they're about to hunt these rams, but the ram run off. But Andy is, or Madoc is, very convinced, and he says, "No, I see somebody. I see, no, I see one right over there. I'm gonna shoot it. I'm gonna shoot it." And he fires, and Ben is like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's nothing there. So he shoots it. Uh, He goes, Andy walks up onto the ledge to go see it. And the the way that this scene happens is so weirdly done, because Ben is like, hey, what's going on up there? And Griffith just goes, just a minute. Like, he's, like, jerking off in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it definitely has a, don't come in here. Don't come in here. I'm just combing my hair. Like, and then Ben comes up and Andy's like, well, whatever it was, got away. And then the camera slowly pans to where Andy has barely buried a corpse. Like, he put three rocks onto a dead guy and was like, well, I don't know. The ram must have gotten away. (laughs) And then, like, he tries to pretend like, yeah, you were right. I shot a a ram, but it was a female. We're not supposed to do that. Guess I'm accidentally a poacher. Oh, well. And Ben's like, yeah, you gotta listen to me. Wait, does this ram have hands? (laughs) Is that a wedding ring on this ram? (laughs) And then he, he takes the rocks off and he flips his body over to reveal the most prospectory looking prospector I've ever seen. <laughs> He's gone if to his... the great hoot nanny in the sky. <laughs> if his blowing chug had just tumbled out of his hands, I would not have been surprised. And like I I know his name is not Pappy. He says a name other No, it was old Ben. No, no, no it's not old Ben. The main <laughs> character's name is Ben. 
What was the? It was the most prospector. I'm just gonna call him Stinky Pete. Like it was like old Gus. It's so good. Like and and Ben delivers a monologue. You'd be like, oh no, he was always out here looking for a vein of gold. He lived his life according to his rules and no one else. But you know, in a way. I think this is how he would have wanted to go. And it's just like, what are you talking about? He died about, doing ben? what he loved, being shot by a crazy old pervert in an <laughs> yeah. ascot. He's, he, him and Ben were sitting down for chicks. He was like, by the way, I just want you to let you know, if I ever die, I want it to be because I, someone thought I was a goat. <laughs> drink. Let me just take another drink of this jug that has XXX written on it. <laughs> Hooey! <laughs> <laughs> unscripted folks um, yeah <laughs> so, uh, oh his raccoon wife is going to be so upset <laughs> oh god so yeah so that, so Andy murders this dude and then he Again, takes I- Ben's gun so he has both guns and then he shoots the prospector again. He shoots his dead body so that there's a bullet from Ben's gun inside of him too. And then he basically says, "Hey Ben, you're gonna bury this body, and we're gonna forget all over about that." And Ben's like, "No." And then and then Andy uh, says, "Okay, strip naked then." Well, no. Andy first is like, "Hey, I'm gonna give you ten thousand dollars. No, five thousand. Five thousand. We yeah. did the math on this." He goes to 10000 uh, later, but he starts with 5000 And yeah, so he's like, I'm going to give you $5,000 to pretend this never happened. And Ben is like, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, cool, plan B. I'm already ready for it. And it's, if you were this ready to do plan B, why did you even try plan A? Yeah, so he makes Ben strip down to his shorts and walk through the desert barefoot. And he basically says, like, here's the plan. We're going to... I'm going to say that you went crazy with the heat or we got separated and you must have gone crazy with the heat, stripped off. And by the time I got to you, you had already died. And Ben says, no, fuck you. I know these woods or this desert. I'm going to make it to the these desert, the woods. desert woods. I'm going to make it to the highway and I'm going to get help. And he's like, good luck with that, bitch. Because he, he, <laughs> so he, so he no, no, specifically. Ben is like, hey, I know how to survive in this desert. I can totally make it through. And Andy's like, oh, that's a good point. I'm a fuck with you the entire yeah, time. He says that. And so it causes Andy to just, like, torture him, basically. Like, try to run him down or, like, just annoy him through the entire time. So it's literally, he's not going to shoot him. He's not going to kill Ben. but Or not going to murder Ben directly. But he's going to basically drive him nuts in the middle of the desert yeah just kind of constantly shoot around him and it's pretty great because ben is just like oh he's like doing some some man versus wild shit he's like all right i'm out in the desert i need to forage for food and get water and anytime this starts to happen too long andy griffin just drives up in a jeep is like hey bud bam bam how's it going bam bam trying to find water bam bam that seems cool well i'll see you later man I'm gonna go chill over here. He literally does at one point be like, "All right, Ben, see you in the morning." Yeah. Like they're like they're just like checking out for work. 
Like, they're the dog and, and, and the coyote. From, from those Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. And that's like, most of the rest of the movie. Like, the their middle act of the movie is just Andy fucking with this kid as he walks naked through the desert. At one point, Andy Griffith pulls over the Jeep, pours himself a nice glass of water, puts some lemon in it, drinks it, goes, ah, that's good water. <laughs> oh well, bye! And I just leave. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> He's definitely it. Definitely crosses beyond the bounds of desiring to get away with murder and just being a weird old pervert. <laughs> definitely getting some sexual gratification out of this. Dan and I decided yeah. about midway through because we were watching this movie together, and we decided that like he really just wanted to kill a prospector. Like that was his plan the whole time. <laughs> you. Any time that Andy's not on screen, you should assume that he's murdering prospectors. <laughs> Just like, I got prospectors mapped out all across this desert. You better leave that gold in the ground, says Andy Griffin. <laughs> if, if God wanted gold to be above ground, he'd have given it wings! Blam, blam, blam! <laughs> I have an ascot! <laughs> oh god we didn't even mention I mentioned the ascot, the ascot. So I, I made sure oh, to mention okay. the ascot oh, he's wearing god. a okay. fucking neckerchief like Freddy from Scooby Doo but worse so much worse because it's little it's like a little baby ascot it's a size too small for him so it's it just adds this extra creepy air to him oh he's dressed up like a boy millionaire so, <laughs> Ben does catch a break, though, when he stumbles across the prospector's, like, home base. At least I assumed that was what was happening, because it's so fucking dark, and, this, and the, like, cut we were watching is so low quality, that we were basically just watching a black screen while a man grunted and guzzled on the other yeah. side. So... It's like he came upon a, like, a Metal Gear Solid supply drop. <laughs> but, yeah, he, it's just, like, all neatly bundled, and he's like, oh, wonderful, supplies. And as he's guzzling the water, Andy shoots the, t- the can, he's like, hey, bud, <laughs> looks like you found some water. That's great. Feel good that for you. For me. <laughs> I'm really rooting for you. No, I'm not. <laughs> Goodbye. And so you're my be- you're my best friend. <laughs> the other thing that Ben finds, and no real explanation for why the prospector had this, is a slingshot. Dennis the Menace <laughs> ass slingshot. It's it's man versus nature, age versus youth, gun versus slingshot. I mean, okay, that's probably very clearly meant to be like a David and Goliath thing, but it's not that kind of slingshot. No, and Andy Griffith is very much not no. Goliath in no. this. <laughs> and, alright, so we approach the end game, and I just want to say before we talk about what the end game is, I would have done another 45 minutes of middle part, where just Andy Griffith in a jeep with a gun just gets increasingly weird harassing Ben. Like, I want him to just be following Ben through the desert, reading poetry through a <laughs> megaphone. <laughs> Like, hey Ben, I bet you don't know this. I got a bunch of my high school journals. <laughs> October first, I grew my first pube. That's crazy, Ben. I thought that happened in September. 
bud. You thirsty? I'm gonna drink some more water at you. Ben, Ben, I found these little, these snap crackers. The little things you get on 4th of July when you're a child. I'm gonna throw them at your back. Ben, you wanna hear this plot of this movie I've been writing? It's about a guy who's roommates with a dinosaur. I think it's gonna really work. Just three hours of that. Just just a deranged Andy Griffith fucking with a young blonde man in the desert. You good? You good? Ben, while you were asleep, I sharpened a penis on your forehead. Have a good one out there, buddy. Sometimes, Dan, sometimes when I'm doing this with you, we can... Sometimes I can jump in on the bit, and sometimes... I know that my role is just to sit back and let you go. Let you work your it's, magic. Just until it's very clear that my face is too red for me to continue talking. Do you want to do no, one? No, honestly, do I don't think I could. I think that was all you, and it was beautiful. It was Thank good, good you, work. Man. Good work. What the fuck are we doing? So, Okay, so here's how the end game plays out. You know the movie Predator? Well, what if that sucked ass? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What if it took forever and was dumb, and was predicated on an old man being dumb as shit? <laughs> because Ben sneaks up on the camp, basically, where Andy is. And instead of just killing the old man, he buries himself. This is so weird. He buries himself in sand, like, with a reed so he can breathe out. And yeah. he buries himself there and just lays in wait for several hours. Yeah. Um, Pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It makes no sense, but it's great. And there's actually a very tense scene where Andy, like, backs up the Jeep to get it away so he can see. He thinks that Ben is up in a cave. That should be clear. Yeah. So Andy yeah. thinks Ben is up in a cave and he's parked outside of the cave. Ben is not actually there. Ben is buried in the sand behind him there's one actually very tense scene where he backs the jeep up and it looks like he's gonna back up that jeep right on top of ben and on top of his reed specifically so it would just be like a jeep parked on his face driving the reed back down through his skull in like one of those like 101 ways to die some real final destination shit that doesn't happen and then he goes up into the he goes up into the cave and at this point Andy is just not limping at all but just going Ben how you doing bud you in there Ben Ben hey pal out here to murder you how you doing big guy Ben goes and gets his rifle discovers that the firing pin has been taken out so it's useless to him so he grabs a whole bunch of supplies and shit and then at this point like Dan and I are literally talking to the movie. We're like, Ben, you gotta go. Ben, take the Jeep. Ben, just run, man. Just go. What are you doing, Ben? And then we go, oh, Ben's gonna light his shit on fire. So Ben yeah. lights, he takes a kerosene lantern, pours all of the kerosene on top of Ben's tent, or I'm sorry, on Madoc's tent, uh, and sleeping bag and everything, and lights his m- fucking tent on fire. And then we get to see a tent explode. <laughs> It explodes like it's an overturned fan in the A-team. 
It's so good. And the entire time we were watching it, I was like, Ben, you fucking idiot. Don't put your shirt on. Ben, don't take the lantern. And then by the end, I was like, Ben, I'm sorry, bud. I will never doubt you again. You are very clearly on top of your shit. I shouldn't be backseat driving this Ben, 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 you got this shit. So then Andy runs down from the mountain. And then he, by the way, that, fuck. That slingshot, right? You might think, okay, Ben's going to use rocks or whatever and take him out. Ben grabs some buckshot. <laughs> he shoots yeah. Andy Madoc in the hand with buckshot launched from a slingshot. And so his hand is just crippled, just bleeding out. Yeah. And then he hits him in the back of the shoulders and just knocks him to the ground. And so he can't get the gun. And it's he pulls some real ads over Anakin. I have the high ground shit. And then he ties he ties Madoc's hands together, and they just drive back to town with the feet of the old prospector just <laughs> dangling out the back of the jeep. Yeah, it's it's so good, it's fantastic. Yeah, like they're dangling out, and I just really wanted them to like clip a truck and just take the old prospector's feet clean off. <laughs> Uh, it's and like they don't get pulled over. No one is. No one like comes up behind them and starts honking a lot. But yeah. So at this point, we are a half hour yeah. into this film. Yes, it took us about the exact same amount of time for us to summarize this as it did for all of this to happen. And we were both kind of sitting there, like, "There's a fucking hour left of this movie. What the fuck could possibly happen next?" Turned out. There, there wasn't. It was an. It's only an hour film. It's, it's like an hour and fifteen. But like the the YouTube video yeah. that we were watching was way longer than that. Maybe it was like a copyright dodge or something because it just like starts repeating random scenes towards the end. Yeah. Still, forty five minutes left of this fucking film. You did a, 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 the most dangerous game. Where the fuck can you possibly go from this? The answer is backwards paradise. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at this point, right. Did we mention that Andy Griffith's character is a lawyer? Because he talks about being a lawyer a lot. And he's like, guess who are they going to believe? Some weird kid or me, a big city lawyer who's really good at the law and can make people do yeah. things or whatever. Yeah. So, he's, he, he says repeatedly, like, convincing people is my business. Reading people is my business. No one thinks Everything is, is this guy's business. <laughs> Yeah, based off of his description, being a lawyer makes him a living god. But he basically says, like, hey, the price has gone up, I'll give you $10,000, we bury the prospector, this whole thing goes away, or I will crush you using my legal expertise. Because he basically says, it's your word against mine, both of our bullets are in that old man, I'm a fucking old handicap person. You are a young, strong man. Are they really going to believe that I chased you around in the fucking desert? And Ben is like, maybe, I hope so. And by this point, Ben, Dan and I are screaming, Ben, get a lawyer. Ben, please get a lawyer. They- by, by the end, I am just head in my hands like, Ben, I am on my hands and knees, tears in my eyes, begging you to contact a public defender. So they... Get back to the filling station where Ben works, uh, and Ben passes out. Madoc takes this opportunity to hide the only evidence that Ben has and steals his slingshot. So the rest of this movie is a quest for a missing slingshot. And he Ben says some kind of equivalent of, I wish I had that slingshot. Where is that slingshot? 5,000 times. Yeah. And 
They go before the sheriff, who is played by James Best, who most people know as Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. But you and I and our listeners know Best as Jim Lindsay, the guitar player from the Andy Griffith Show. Yeah, who is an absolutely dog shit cop who has to be spoon fed an investigation. And just like his like small town sheriff thing is not really working. Not like none of the rest of this is all that interesting, but it is basically just uh, a he said, he said kind of thing. Everyone buys completely into Madoc's story because there's no evidence because the the slingshot is the missing. Slingshot is- and it pretty much goes on basic- like that for a while. Yeah, basically the whole thing hinges on the the town going like, well, all right, who probably what probably happened? This kind of weird kid that we've known for I'm presuming years went absolutely berserk and tried to kill two people out in the desert with no provocation whatsoever or b this creepy old weirdo who just came into town was a creepy old weirdo when he took a young man out into the desert oh that's a toughie and it's like just a very it's basically just a honestly a kind of realistic courtroom drama just because the whole thing is predicated on cops listening to the person that talks the loudest (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that is basically what happens it looks like ben is going to go to jail madoc is about to like fly back to new york to get his high-priced legal team together and then at the last second madoc pulls up for oh i I, first up no madoc does not pull up for gas Madoc is in the passenger seat. He's being driven to the airport by the sheriff who pulls in to get some gas and then says, I'm going to get a beer. Madoc, you want a beer? So he goes to aid. The sheriff goes to get a beer while he is driving the car and is going to give it to Madoc as they are driving back to the airport. And as they are at the... Just such a big fuck you. They make Ben fill up their car with gas as this is happening. Which is so weird. Like, (laughs) James Best, the sheriff's logic in this is just like, Alright, so I have two potential murder suspects here. I guess I'll just let you guys hang out in our town for a little while. And just come back by whenever. You know? Yeah. Go to work. I'll I'll meet you there later. Whatever. Just we'll get around super to this flight chill risk. about his murder suspects here. As he is filling up the tank, he notices that something is weird with the fuel line, and then it occurs to him, aha! So he goes to the little, like, hatch where the oil or the tanks are full- filled, and he goes, he gets a stick, and he pulls. And this takes forever, by the way. Yeah. Like, anyone with two brain cells watching is just like, it's a slingshot. The slingshot's in the tank. Slingshot. Yeah. And they go in excruciating detail of him opening the tank and then getting a stick. And someone else like, what are you doing? And he's like, there's something in the tank. We're just, ah. And then the they boat. pull up the stick in slow motion. They devote an equal amount of time to fishing a slingshot out of a gas tank to, like, Andy Griffith dual-wielding sniper rifles. It's like, all equally important. Of- yeah, to me, both of these things uh, deserve the equal amount of attention. But he pulls out the slingshot, and the cop is immediately like, Andy Griffith, you did it. And he's like, ah! Like, which, if, again, a good cop would probably be like, 
okay, I have to take a sec and just kind of re- just figure out what this means for the case. And he's just like, well, the boy's holding a slingshot with a lot of confidence. So I think that means you go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the most easily persuaded police officer ever. And that's it. Like, I'm pretty sure Ben could have just ho- held up like a picture of a clown and be like, Sheriff, I found this means that he did it. And the sheriff would be like, that makes some sense. Real fucking duck season, right. rabbit season logic on this shit. <laughs> like, and then Maddox just goes like, Sheriff, I'm jingling some keys. And he'd be like, all right, I'm going to give you your passport and $10,000. Go wait out in Brazil for this for your jury summons, for your court summons. <laughs> jury summons is even better, actually. Just wait in, in, yeah. in Brazil until someone calls you back for jury duty. Yeah. And that's it. That's the end. That's the end of the movie. Pretty much roll credits at that point. And that's our Andy Griffith bad guy double feature. It one of yeah. them is is what Pray for the Wildcats is pretty much hands down the better movie. Savages. Rules. Savages kicks so. Oh, we should point out that Savages was actually remade a couple of years ago. It actually was mm. remade by a movie I've never heard a movie I've never heard of, but it stars Michael Douglas. It's called yeah. Beyond the Reach. Uh, they are apparently both based on the 1972 novel Death Watch, which I'm sure that Beyond the Reach is absolute dog I shit. I bet it is. It, it does, from the reading the Wikipedia page, it does the thing that we thought this movie was going to do, which is they get back to town and Andy Griffith breaks out and maybe his hired goons get into town and there's a big shootout in the middle of town. They went in the direction of a poorly thought out legal drama and Beyond the Reach is just like, yeah, Michael Douglas, he breaks out. Suddenly he's the fucking Terminator. He's shooting people all over town and there's a big climactic final battle, which I'm sure that Beyond the Reach sucks shit, but I wish they'd done that with this because then it would be like I would be getting a poster of uh, Savages on my wall right now. If, can you imagine if they'd gone back into town and Andy Riff had been like, oh, by the way, these are my Russian mercenaries. They just came into <laughs> town to just hang out. Oh, no, they're opening fire. Well, <laughs> guess Andy Griffith got the upper hand now. Yeah, so how do we end one of uh, these? I have no idea, man. This is Okay, so there it is. That's the season ender for us. We ended on a double feature of Andy Griffith bad guy movies. Apparently there were a bunch of these, like Andy Griffith 1970s TV movies. How do I put it this way? He's not great in them. Like, But in Savages, he's so ridiculous that it works so well. Honestly, though, you can kind of get a glimmer from these of what could have been if Andy Griffith had kept going after a face in the crowd of being a bad guy. Because you can definitely see, like, he is... He's learning how to ride a bike again in both yeah. of these. Like, he's remembering how to be a bad guy. And if he'd just not done the Andy Griffith show, he would have been, like... He would not have been nearly as successful, but he would have been, like, a fucking incredible character actor bad guy. He would have just been, like, the dude you bring in when when your cop who plays by nobody's rules but their own needs someone to square off against. Because he does have that ability to mix, like... The Andy Griffith jovial, hey, come on down, with, like, actual menace. 
like with both with Fargat, I think he he does a better job because he definitely like does have this real sociopathic sinister edge to him. It's just a shame he didn't really get to do anything more interesting with it. But yeah, there is basically both of these characters are kind of like the person we keep screaming that Andy Griffith that Andy Taylor yeah. is just taken to its logical conclusion. Can we make the clip the art for this? Can we make it a picture of Andy Griffith and Savages? One second, I'm gonna pull up that image. I just I wanted another moment with just God his big stupid sun hat. I forgot he has shoulder patches. It's so magnificent. He's wearing Hunter S. Thompson glasses that are slightly too big for his head. <laughs> and just really accentuate his giant fucking ears. It's a masterpiece. So that's it. That's season three for us. We're we're heading into the post-Sweeney era. We'll see you all after uh, the new year. I hope that we were able to make this year suck less shit for you somehow. And thank you all for listening to us and supporting us in any way, shape, or form, whether that is just, you know, giving us a thumbs up, letting us know that you like our stuff on Facebook or Twitter, or supporting us with your money dollars at patreon.com slash breaking Mayberry. We appreciate you hanging out with us, and we appreciate you, like, just letting us do this stupid, wonderful thing. Yeah, to be earnest, this, as you all might be aware, this year has sucked shit, and doing this podcast has been a huge help for both of us maintaining our sanity through it, so you all enabling us to continue doing it has been, oh, really appreciated, so thank all of you, we'll see you in the new Have a wonderful holiday, at home. Yeah. Staying home. Use it to- If you don't, if you leave your home- we're going to drag you out into the desert to do a most dangerous game. We'll follow through on that promise from the opening We'll wear game. masks the entire time. I'll dress like a fucking <laughs> lunatic. I'm going to wear an ascot. We will drop occasional episodes, but we'll see you back after the new year. And we'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Boom, 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 boom,